on episode three of the Insure Tech Geek podcast, talking all things predictive analytics with the CEO and founder of Gradient AI, Stan Smith. Insure Tech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives with our own research and development team into tech that we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Greetings, everybody. Hope you're doing well out there in InsureTech land. This is James Benham, the InsureTech geek, and we're here to talk about predictive analytics with one of the guys who really knows his stuff about predictive analytics, Mr. Stan Smith. Uh, he's wicked smart. He's from the uh, the Boston area, and Stan is joining us uh, remote. He's driving in his car right now. Got some windshield time. Thought we'd do an interview. Stan, how are you doing today? Great, James. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. And thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. And I certainly appreciate you taking some windshield time and dedicating it to talking about uh, all things uh, InsureTech, in particular, in particular, in particular, predictive analytics. Now, look, I always like talking about tech, but I like talking about the people behind tech. And you're definitely one of those people. So just tell, tell all the listeners out there, uh, where are you born and raised? Uh, what got you into uh, insurance and into tech? Uh, what's your What's your background? I'm a military brat, Navy brat, born in Florida, Pensacola, Florida, moved all around the country. My, my dad retired in New England, so we sort of settled up in high school in Boston, went to school up here. This is my home now, and uh, just you know, got into software a long time ago. This is my sixth startup. I founded uh, three of them, and I've done different things, but uh, about 20 years ago, my first startup that got involved in what was called machine learning back then, now called AI because it's sexy now, but back then it was, you know, it was the same stuff, but... Uh, I saw what it could do, and uh, what got me in insurance. When I, I looked at the insurance space, I realized insurance was really needed some uh, some some changes, some great opportunities to help companies do better. But also, it was a challenge because a lot of companies aren't willing to share their data with anybody. They're very protective of their core asset, which is their data, which I understand. So it makes it kind of both a challenge but an opportunity as well. Awesome. And and what were all the different startups you were involved in? Six. You co-founded three. And uh, what 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 were the different types of businesses that you built over the years? Okay, so there was a manufacturing software company for sort of uh, computer integrated manufacturing. There was computer aided design company. There was a couple of product lifecycle management companies, and then the machine learning based company was a supply chain, so a supplier management company for managing the tens of thousands of global suppliers that a lot of big companies use, and using machine learning to help them predict future performance and also future bankruptcies of their supply chain so they can actually manage their suppliers more effectively. And two out of those six went public, so it's been kind of an interesting ride, both good, you know, good days and bad days, all the above. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've, you've certainly been along the ride for uh, an economic ride with the economy and uh, the, the ride of having to be involved in an IPO. And uh, so they, we're, we're, we're going to I mean, I could do a whole show with you just talking about entrepreneurship, startups, and and the and the company life cycle, but that's not what this is about. 
but but it's uh, it's it's fascinating to me. Um, I started my business in 2001. I've stayed with the same company, started JB Knowledge in 01, and then we we started products, and we we just did our first big exit about a year ago. And it's been interesting going through that entire life cycle of startup to growth to ramp up, and then then to exit. It, it uh, certainly will put some more gray hair on your head, won't it? And if you saw my head, you'd know that's true. <laughs> so, Stan, let's talk about Gradient AI. This this was part of Milliman, which is a very well-known, well-respected firm. And then it spun out of uh, Milliman. Is that correct? That's correct. And you're using AI. So, you know, just as well as I do, this is a buzz phrase, kind of like uh, yep. put, putting the letter I in front of everything was 10 years ago and um, you know, we, we had like three different names for cloud computing, you know, with the app application service provider model. Then we had all these, you know, we've got all these different names that things take on as marketers get more and more clever. AI is certainly one of those things, but the reality is machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. So it's always been a subset. We just call it AI now. You're actually using true specific AI. I saw a really wonderful uh, image that I reposted on my LinkedIn feed last week that uh, had a, a guy with a hood on and it said AI on it. And then the guy took the hood off and underneath was a bunch of if then statements. And, it, it, and, 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 and like that's for those of us in the technology community, that's hilarious because really what a lot of people are doing is they're building like a, an expert system, basically, that that humans have built conditional statements into to make it look like AI, but it's not. You're actually using a specific form of AI in this business. What was the what was the the origin story for Gradient AI and um, why did it spin out of Milliman? The origin story was we were. I would, had never done a startup in insurance, so I had to go find a business problem that really, you know, was was worth solving. And to me, a business problem is something that affects either the revenue or the profitability, or hopefully both, for a large number of companies that are in the same kind of general industry. And what I discovered was work comp as a, a line in the insurance company space was performing poorly. So I looked at that closer because it was doing very, very poorly financially. And as I uncovered more and more about it, it turned out the claim side was actually performing much worse and much harder for clients to control in underwriting. So I thought I would start there. And my, I did what was called a proof of concept. I actually had a client that was willing to pay me some money to see if AI slash machine learning could tell them things that they didn't know already. And so the question they wanted me to find out an answer for was, can you identify for us what we call a creeping catastrophic claim, a claim that is not a catastrophic claim. It looks benign when it comes in, primarily soft tissue injuries. So somebody looks like they sprained something, strained it, twisted it, not a major injury. Yet, these creeping catastrophic claims, one out of 10 of them, will end up costing you about 60% of your total losses. So you've got, you know, for every 10 claims, one that looks like no big deal, the person never comes back to work or doesn't come back for a year or two. And they become very bad and complicated and, and expensive claims. So they said, if we could identify these claims immediately or very close to immediately, we could do a lot more about these claims instead of waiting for them to emerge on their own. So that was the question. That was the business problem they wanted solved. But we didn't know if we could do it. So we, we, we built models that it turned out we could identify a large portion of their high-cost claims early. Well, the CEO was a really smart guy. He asked me to do one more piece of analysis. It was, okay, Stan, at day 30, you think it looks like you've identified most of my high-risk claims. But I want to know specifically, for every claim that ever got to $100,000 or more in its total spent, you know, total uh, life, how many of those had you identified by day on or before day 30 as a high-risk claim? 
And then I want to compare against my adjusters how many of those same claims have they already identified. So if, if you've identified the same claims, there's nothing to do here. If you identify different claims, then we should look into that. Well, James, it turned out that by day 30, we'd identified over 90% of those $100,000 or more claims as high risk way before they looked at risk. And his same adjusters, who are great people, do a great job, they're still a client of ours uh, six years later, they were identifying about 15% of those claims as high risk by day 90. That's a huge statistic. The, and look, claims adjusters are a rare breed. Good ones are hard to find. They've got to have a, you know, knowledge and experience really matters with claims adjusters in a big way. You can't just take an 18-year-old and have them adjusting claims like a pro in, in six months. This this takes time and experience. So their experienced adjusters were identifying 15% of these largely soft tissue industries, these creeping catastrophic claims within 90 days and the the machine learning algorithm you built was identifying 90% of them in the same time period or or immediately? In 30 days. In 30, 30 days. days. And you know that because you actually went back on historical data. Like you, you, didn't, you, 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 right. you certainly didn't want to have to wait 10 years to find out what all the creeping catastrophic claims were. So there's a call to back test and you can actually take a set of claims that the models have never seen before but are closed and you just show them the first 30 days of data and let the model tell you what's going to happen but then you compare it against what really did happen. Yeah, so you have to have all of your as-of data so you can you can literally wind the clock back on those claims. So you took all this claim data and you wind, you wound the clock back to where the computer was only presented with the first 30 days of information, not the rest. Even though the rest of the data was already known and stored, it wasn't presented to the model. The model then right. took that data and was able to accurately identify 90% of them within the within 30 days, which is a four and a half, five-fold improvement over what the adjusters were able to identify. That's huge. That's huge. That's, that's what the CEO said. That's why they became a client of ours. <laughs> yeah. So the sales cycle became shorter at that point. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But to identify that, it took them having the courage, in this case, to turn over their data sets to you. 100%. Again, and I think, but the biggest reason I did join Milliman was because I felt, and it turned out to be true, I mean, part of a well-known, well-respected, very credible, very, you know, secure, big company, it made it easier for us to get that data in the early days. And I think that was a critical part of our growth. And if you think about it, James, we were sort of incubated inside of Milliman, even though that wasn't the plan, but we ended up aggregating over 20 million more comp claims. Now, when I started and talk to some of the bigger carriers and work cop that had 100,000 claims a year. I never thought I would approach that volume of claims in my, you know, in the, the career of this business. And now we would consider a client with 100,000 annual claims sort of a modest size client. Exactly. So yeah. It's changed the dynamic. And, and the other, the extra data is valuable. The models find signal in any place, you know, all over the place. Uh, and more data is always better than less data. So how, how does this apply to other lines of insurance other than workers' comp? Have you, have you looked at property? Have you looked at commercial auto? I mean, does this same approach and methodology apply to the other lines of insurance? So, so yes and no. So if you think about artificial intelligence, when it does its best job is when you ask it very specific questions. So asking a general question to a model of is this good or bad is kind of hard for the model to assess what that means. What you want to be able to do is ask the model or models have asked the data very specific questions like how much will this claim cost? How much will be medical? How much will be legal? Each one of those would be a different question and actually a different model that's built to do just that one task. Even though it's bundled together, 
um, behind the scenes. You want to you want a series of models doing that. What we found, James, is that Fort Cop is the longest tail line. Knowing the most, the soonest, that was the best line to bring that to. But now we're actually rolling out liability solutions today because it's the second longest tail. I, I call Work Cop a 90-10 problem. About 10% of your claims are going to be your uh, the, more than half of your total losses. And liability is about a 95-5 problem. About 5% of your claims or your losses are going to be over 50% of your total losses. So it's still really hard to find those claims early. And that's exactly what our solutions are built for. And in both cases, we use those loss, that loss information to inform the underwriting model of how, how to price policies better. So it's, it's, a, it's a virtual cycle. Losses help inform the underwriting. Underwriting helps hopefully control losses. Um, and, and, we're, and we're working on a few other lines that, that are, we call adjacent lines as well right now. Yeah, and what you've got is a solution that can help out certainly with claims adjusting. And if you go to your website, of course, it says, you know, you have work comp, and then you have underwriting is the is the next obvious thing because you're going to change the way you price based on this data, right? Correct. Again, that same CEO, when he asked me to move into underwriting, said to me, when I said, why is this going to help you? How is this going to help you? He said, well, I have to wait two or three years to understand exactly how much a single claim for a single policyholder is going to cost before I can adjust the price of that policy. And you can tell me that in 30 days. That means when the policy comes up for renewal, I know if this is a good policy or not on my renewal basis. And then hopefully you can inform me on new business that's likely to have those kind of claims better than I can do myself. And that's, it turns out AI can do both those things very, very well. That's, that's awesome. And, and this is not general AI. So to, for, for, the, for the audience, general artificial intelligence is what you think of when you look at, um, of course, I'm a Star Trek fanatic. So Commander Data, yep. you know, he, he was general AI. He was a, a sentient being. Uh, that was artificially created. Uh, you have Hal from uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. You, you can go through many, many, many examples of general AI uh, in science fiction movies. This does not exist yet. And and my favorite um, uh, futurist, Peter Diamandis, uh, he Diamandis, uh, he hypothesizes that we're about 30 years away from general AI being here. What this is is uh, is specific AI. So I mean, Alexa. Um, and uh, Google, you know, hey, Google, the Google Home devices, those are a specific form of AI in natural language processing, uh, in speech-to-text, text-to-speech. There's some really interesting things going on in the speech area. You're also leveraging NLP uh, because you're reading, and this is what I love about your solution and about machine learning in general, is it's allowing us to tap into unstructured data like we've never been able to. You can tap into... Um, you know, we work we work with some AI solutions that tap into photos and videos and do object recognition and image recognition and pattern recognition and look for the way that workers are lifting things. So you can identify if you have really you if you have some loss control things you need to work on. <clears throat> and, and I what I like about this is that you're tapping into the ability to read free text, so you can take all those diary entries and start making something of them, right? So Wikipedia, if everybody is pretty familiar with, is about four point two billion words. We have single clients that their claim notes just in the work cop claim file is multiple Wikipedia's worth of text. Wow. And that, that's just years and years and years of knowledge that's been put into page, uh, the pages electronically, and the models can read sort of four forms of information. They can read keywords, key, key phrases, sentiment, and context, which means they can understand if someone tripped over a plant or if they fell in a plant. They can understand that the, the context is someone's probably a landscaper that tripped over a plant while working or someone works in a factory when they fell in the plant. And so it's really helpful 
is you'll have the models can learn this kind of information so they can assess does the setting make a difference in the severity of the claim, the duration of the claim, and cost of claim, and understand all that kind of context without us telling it what to do. It can understand smoking and, and non-smoker and heavy smoker and those kind of levels of things and understand because it can learn from past claims how much those key phrases matter and when they matter the most. You know, it's just untapped potential when you look at free text and note entries and unstructured data that's not in a relational database. It's not tagged or hint. It's not, it's not organized in any way that a SQL query is going to be able to run a, a search on this easily. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And some of the funny, funny stuff we have to do, James, is we actually have to understand how many times and how many ways you misspell certain words like weight. Type and weight are important terms for the model to know. So some of our feature engineering is make sure the model understands that weights spelled W-E, you know, and W-A-I-T and W-A-T-E and W-T and W-T period, all that means the same word. So there's some real important stuff that you need to do to make these models as accurate as possible. But some of that is actually that mundane kind of engineering kind of work. Sure, you have to teach them before they can learn and you have to hint data sets, right? So for a machine learning algorithm to run billions of iterations and to learn from it, it has to know what a good and out, a bad outcome is. So you have to look backwards before you can look forwards. You have to look backwards and say, here's good outcomes, here's bad outcomes, and let's look for cause causality, not necessarily correlation. I'm sure you've, you're bound to have seen a lot of the items that were correlated but not caused. And that happens all the time, right? Just, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Just because someone wears a red shirt doesn't mean they're going to die on every away mission, Star Trek reference. Uh, they're, they're <laughs> well, ha- they don't have a name, though. Exactly. If they don't have a name, they're likely to die. So. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's core, that's correlation, not causality. The red shirt doesn't cause their death. Uh, it's just a foreshadower in Star Trek that they're going to die. But uh, th- there's a there's a big difference between the two, and I'm sure that's really where you spend a lot of time in data sciences, narrowing that down. Stan, there's another phrase out there that gets really overused, predictive analytics. And I've seen people that really just have a reporting engine and a reporting tool calling it predictive analytics. So they they build maybe an expert system where they have a bunch of if-thens that we talked about earlier, and they call it predictive analytics. They're, they're using it as a marketing wrapper for what was uh, originally reporting systems, then BI, then now it's BI with predictive analytics. And I've heard a lot of BI tools saying, oh, we have predictive analytics. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Let's talk about what, what it really means. What does predictive analytics really mean? I, I, have the, I have all the definitions I can read to you or our listeners, but you tell me as someone who's in the business, what does it mean? It means it takes historical inputs and outcomes. And says based on what it's been, what's seen in the past, and given all the different combinations and correlations and relationships, that statistically this is the highest probable or highest range of likely outcomes that you're going to see in the future. So it's probabilistic prediction of what's likely to occur. Yeah. So it, it assigns a probability to an outcome. That's right. If we had to sum it all up, it's not predicting the future because that's not possible. If it was, we wouldn't be in this business anymore, right? It'd be over. That's right. <laughs> It'd be over. Everything, every industry would be over. Um, it's not predicting the future. It's assigning a probability to an outcome based on historical performance. Exactly right. And it's using machine learning, which is a specific subset of AI, to get there. At the end of the day, what's the big, hairy, audacious goal here? It can't just be, look, to set an accurate reserve on a claim in the insurance business is massive. To be able to use that in real time to change your underwriting process, 
also massive. What are the bigger social impacts? What are the big hair audacious goals wrapped around this that are way bigger than just reserve setting and underwriting? So what if you could truly take the underwriting side, which is exposure? What risk are you trying to manage uh, to, to, you know, just to manage the actual risk of occurring versus the claims? In other words, when those things, those bad outcomes actually occur, if you could marry those two sides of this data sandwich into one and say, if I have this information as close to universally uh, available as possible on any kind of risk, could I, in fact, start to identify those risks before they occur and use loss control and loss mitigation strategies to reduce or eliminate those losses? I think that changes this from a car insurance. You cover the, the expense if you have an accident. What if you could prevent the accident? And I think there is an opportunity if we do this right to get into loss prevention as opposed to loss coverage. And I think that's something that changes a lot of people's lives. That's a world-changing goal. If you look at like Google X, their their labs initiative at Google, they won't work on anything that doesn't impact at least 100 million people, Stan. And to me, that is a 100 million person problem is what if you can use this data to actually prevent the loss in the first place through effective loss control, then you have then you have something that not just changes the profitability of insurance companies or the profitability of companies that employ people and carry risk, but you change lives, right? Millions and millions of lives. Absolutely, right. And the other thing, interesting thing, so let's jump back into the current reality because that's that's future reality. The current reality is you can dramatically speed up claim processing too. I mean, there's a whole subset of claims, probably like medical only claims and specific types of claims that you can even approach auto adjudication where you can just approve the claim and move on without a person even touching it, right? And we are doing that today. We've got clients doing that today. On medical only, there's so many of them that are really, they don't get treated well and they don't get treated in a timely fashion because they don't have capacity. And AI allows them to actually better customer service People get what they need. They get the information they need, the money they need. They get it faster. And it just, it, everybody's life is better off because it's just, there's no friction in the process. Yeah. Are we trying to reshape the loss triangle too? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking. I mean, are there any actuaries on this podcast? Because if there are, um, but yeah, it, it absolutely does. First thing, uh, what happens, James, is that the amount of IBNR changes. Why? Because the models are very, very accurate. As I gave you with that early example of understanding which claims are going to be expensive at high severity. And and just in the inverse of that, the, the vast majority of claims that are not going to be. So what we see time and time again is reserving patterns change. Lower risk claims get lower reserves. Higher risk claims get higher reserves much earlier in their life. And the amount of IBNR actually diminishes, which means there's a lot less uncertainty in that book of claims and that, that, that year of underwriting. A lot more certainty about where the losses are and where they're going to occur. Sure. And it doesn't mean, again, that it, it, there's no there's no perfect model, okay? There's, uh, you know, the old saying, there's no perfect house, there's no perfect spouse. There's also no perfect model. Uh, you're not going to achieve 100% accuracy. It just, it, you just don't have a, you just don't have a uh, looking glass into the future. But, but there's a, why are machines, this is the big question, why are machines this much better at assigning probabilities than 30 and 40 year experienced people? So I think, James, it comes down to a couple simple things. They're complex, but they're simple. One is that a human's brain can handle between four and seven uh, variables at once and understand sort of how they interact. 
these algorithms can understand virtually an infinite number and understand that these things, they may have only seen a certain combination a few times, but every time they've seen that combination, it's always equaled some outcome. Whereas humans have a limited scope, limited ability to observe and learn, and these computers can learn from enormous amounts of data and never forget, never get tired, understand what's happening, understand recency versus you know, long, long ago and all sorts of other combinations of things. And they're just really, really good at, at uh, picking out the complex relationships that indicate strong probability of, of a certain outcome happening where a human may not realize it yet or may actually think it's not going to happen at all. Yeah, absolutely. It's just fascinating. The human computer, right? The brain of the human being has some built-in software limitations. Now, the hardware, the hardware that we have is actually theoretically better biological computers with the number, with the, the storage possibilities, our storage mechanisms has, we've got the hardware to do much more than we do with our brains. We don't have the software. The way that we're wired does not fully utilize um, the neurons, their capacity, the chemical storage that we have, the DNA storage that we have far outstrips the software that we have that's sitting on top of this uh, this brain. Until we figure out a way to hack our own biology uh, more effectively than is being done right now, this is going to have to do, right? That's right. That's right. Let's step back and look at insurance from a, a, a slightly bigger uh, altitude, a slightly higher altitude. I'm a pilot, so I like to talk about altitude. Um, let's let's go up to 50,000 feet, and we can see the whole world. Or let's say 46,000 feet. That's more realistic for a, for an airplane. And we're going to look at the at the whole. Right. We're, we're going to look at the whole world here. We're starting to see not just the rise of insurance technology vendors, but insurance tech companies that are deciding to not sell to insurance companies but compete against them. That's right. And that is a big sea change because insurance has been a very manual, very paper or Excel. It was paper. Now it's just heavily Excel-driven and data table-driven business with people crunching on data. And now you're seeing these guys come in and they're doing auto adjudication. They're underwriting immediately. They're issuing policies immediately. You're talking about like minutes to bind and issue policies, minutes to process claims, and much smaller claims and policy teams. It's a fascinating dynamic that companies that used to be vendors are now turning into the insurance companies themselves. What, what are your thoughts there? So I think it's natural. I think if the insurance companies don't do it themselves, it leaves a, a, a gap in the marketplace where people can combine the technology and the ability to write insurance into one entity. And we, we do see it a lot. We see a lot of startup insurance companies. You see it all the time. Uh, a lot of the venture money has been fun funding the uh, sort of the the uh, apps for buying insurance quickly. And I think that's just the beginning. That's more low friction distribution. The back end is still tied to a big insurance company, but the full soup to nuts insurance companies that are AI based, automation based, low cost, high speed based, those are coming. We see it all the time. And, you know, the, the, the existing incumbents have a chance to either be responsive and aggressive because they still have a data advantage. They still have more information. They've got distribution agents and so forth that want to maintain their businesses. But if they keep thinking it's not going to happen, well, we've seen that a lot of times in, in past history with industries that don't think it's, anything's going to change. And there's no more punch cards, right? Yeah. There's no more rotary phones. There's no more lots of things. 
Yeah, exactly. There's entire Radio Shack ads where the entire page is on is in an iPhone now, right? I mean, it's, we are in an era of much more rapid disintermediation and much more rapid uh, change. So, what's next? Because what you're doing now is already very cutting edge. There's not a lot of companies truly utilizing predictive analytics, real machine learning, and tapping into big data sets. What's the next step for you guys at Gradient AI? I think the thing that we see a lot of is this, all the uh, automation that's going on, a lot of investment going on in, in infrastructure and or RPAs, and, and really trying to take this AI and drive faster, better decisions, especially on the mundane, low, low value add from a human perspective. Get more of that automated, put more of the hard decisions that you need experienced people for underwriting claims, put those situations in the hands of, of the experts and let them spend more time on those truly complex situations where you need that 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 judgment that computers just don't have yet. Yep. And so I think it's it's just optimizing the, the workflows and the throughput and the investments that have been made. And that's I see that going on more and more rapidly over the last 12 months and over the next five years we see that's going to be number one uh, where most of these companies really try to take and optimize what they've what they've got. Yeah they're finally they're finally taking a look uh in what we would call you know a lean perspective. Uh you know my favorite book on lean is two second lean uh, by Dan Akers, uh, you know, lean pioneered by Toyota and the Japanese, where they're just eliminating, yep. you know, eliminating waste and improving efficiency. And RPA, robotic process automation, is one of the best ways to do it, and one of the easiest low hanging fruits. You say, okay, what are all the manual tasks you can do? Let's write a script to to repeat and do those. I actually did an interview in my construction podcast with a brilliant guy named Bossam Hamdi from Brick, who is who's applied machine learning to RPA. And so the the RPA bots that they're writing dynamically learn uh, as the UIs of the software change, they automatically adjust yep. to those UIs. And so they're not requiring manual programming. The RPA bots are modifying their own scripting to be able to do all the data entry and data extraction without uh, a human override whenever there's a software version update. And so it's been very interesting to watch what they're doing. I think RPA has huge promise to liberate people. I'm not a, a scarcity thinker. I'm I'm what Peter Diamandis would uh, would describe as an abundance thinker. I think that all of these things liberate humans to do value added thinking tasks. Uh, I don't believe. I, I think if the if you know bots and robots and machines eliminated jobs, we'd all be unemployed by now because the industrial revolution started in the early 1800s and that's what the luddites said at the time was you know all the jobs are going away and they were wrong um unemployment actually net unemployment went down as a result of the uh, industrial revolution and wages and work out wages went up work hours went down vacation hours went up Uh, life got materially better from automation and so i I just i believe it's going to keep getting better so james i see that firsthand i see claims adjusters that when we got there you know, the claims would, you know, when they got away from them and they didn't know that it was going to get away from them, they were like, how should I know? How could I know? And their management's been aligned with them. There's been a lot of collaboration. And nowadays, the mundane claims are being taken care of a different way. And they're being assigned to the most complex claims and having a great impact because they have the time to have a great impact and they're feeling empowered. And so it's, it's actually just the opposite. If they, when the fear gets reduced or eliminated, when management really understands this is going to be an empowering technology, a lot of great things take place. It does. So margins go up, employee satisfaction goes up, productivity goes up, and accuracy goes up. And of course, uh, ultimately, claim costs go down. So there's every variable that you want to move moves. Absolutely. 
it's a yep. it's a fascinating uh, fascinating dynamic. Well, Stan, um, I I really appreciate uh, you know you and I've gotten to co present a few times. I've really enjoyed presenting with you. I love listening to you. Um, I know our, our listeners will enjoy this as well. Uh, if people want to find out more information on Gradient AI, I'm assuming they just go to gradientai.com. Yes, sir. Okay, so go check it out at G-R-A-D-I-E-N-T, gradientai.com. Check out their solutions. You can reach out to Stan through their contact form on the website. And again, uh, this has uh, been a, a really great discussion. I appreciate you joining me today. Thanks, James. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. So again, this is the Insure Tech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. Thanks for joining us this week. I look forward to talking with all of you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. Talk to you next time. <laughs>